Welcome to Radiant Church Podcast. We want Jesus to be the message in everything we do. We are those who look to him. Jesus, we love you. God, you are the one we came for. We didn't come for a worship team. We didn't come for a speaker. We came to encounter you. So I pray that as we open up your word, Jesus, that you would speak to us, that your word is alive and it's active. So Jesus, I pray that it would be active in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of Radiant said amen. 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 All right, how many of you guys know that relationships are really the most influential aspect of our lives? When you think about who you're in a relationship with and who you know, who you're friends with, who you interact with, that's really the most important influencer in your life. It's really amazing the profound effect relationships have. You know, I've heard it said like this, that our lives are essentially the, the sum average of our five closest friendships. So when you step back and you think about your friendships, the people you are connecting with, you're in relationship with, you take the five closest and your life is going to be somewhere in that average range. It's amazing the power of relationships. Essentially, we're defined by two different types of relationships. The first is our relationship with God a vertical relationship. The second is our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people. And what I love that Jesus says about this concept of relationships, it's this. He says it in Matthew 22. Jesus says that love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. He says that this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus is establishing that both our vertical and our horizontal relationships are primary, are of primacy, are of most importance. And I love how he tags this on with the second part, that the second is like it. The lawyer, the, the person who is asking Jesus this question, asked him what was the most important commandment. And Jesus doesn't give him one, he gives him two. So what Jesus is articulating that these two commandments are so linked to one another, I'm not going to separate them. It's an amazing thing when he does that. So what happens is we know that our relationship with God is important. We know that. That's, that's an easy one to, to grab a hold of. But when we start entering into relationships, horizontal relations, relations with other people, what happens is oftentimes we get disappointed. We get frustrated, we get angry, we get upset because they're they're not interacting with us the way we think they should. I think we could say it like this, frustration essentially can be defined as the gap between our expectations and our experiences. I want you to get that. Here's what frustration is. Frustration is the gap between our expectations and our experiences. So what do we do with that gap? Because if we're honest, we all have it. We've all been frustrated. We've all been disappointed. When you look at the relationships in your history, what, how many of them have disappointed us? Maybe it was a family member. You thought, you know, your family, you thought they would react to a situation one way. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're reacting completely different and it catches you off guard. You're not expecting it. Maybe it's with your spouse. You were You know, maybe you're a newlywed and you were expecting them to to act one way and they're acting differently. 
Maybe you feel betrayed by your friends because you, you were expecting them to have your back on the situation and they decided not to. Maybe it's with coworkers. Maybe it's a, a business deal. You were expecting it to turn out one way and it turned out a completely different way. You know, when I was in college, um, I was an undergrad for a business degree, so we would have opportunities to tour different plants, Toyota. Um, if you have any playing cards at home, chances are they were made in Cincinnati. So as a UC business student, we got to tour the playing card company, and they would always tell us in class and in all these tours that it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. Now, just to be honest, as a 21, 22-year-old undergrad student paying for college, that is a hard pill to swallow when your teacher says, not really what you know. <laughs> then why am I paying for this class right now? <laughs> like, thank you, you know. I don't think they were trying to delegitimize the education. I think they were trying to instill a need for relationship. So ultimately, they were saying that your network, your friendships, your relationship are going to be of more value than the degree that you're about to get. That's a powerful idea that our relationships really are so influential because there's nothing more frustrating than relationships. I can't think of anything that is more frustrating than interpersonal relationships with other people. Maybe you have something. I don't because people are constantly not coming and meeting my expectations. And I think if you're honest and we're honest, I think you would say the same thing. That the people you interact with the most are most often the people who disappoint you. And there's a story in the Bible. There's this family that I love that we get to read about. And one of the things that I love about this particular family is that it's not a one and done story. You know, it's not one of these interactions with Jesus we see one time and then we just move on and everything's done. We get to see this one family, these, these three siblings interact with Jesus three different times. And because of that, we get to see this incredible arc of maturity. We get to see frustration, we get to see disappointment, and we get to see growth. It's an incredible family, it's an incredible story. You, you know their names, it's Mary, it's Martha, and it's Lazarus. And the first time we see them in the Gospels, Martha is dealing with a disappointment in her sister. She's dealing with some frustration. You know, she's hoping that Mary would be serving with her, that she'd be working in the kitchen, doing things with her. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and let's be real, in, in light of disappointments and, and hardships in life, this is a very minor one. I understand, man, I've had greater disappointments than that in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. So if we were to scale them out, I'm sure this one doesn't rank very highly, but it's real. It doesn't matter where you would rank your disappointments. What matters is that it's real. And because it's happened to you and you're, and you're dealing with those feelings, it matters to Jesus. So let's look at this family. Let's look at this first interaction in Luke chapter 10. Starts in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? 
tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I want to pause here for a moment before we jump in and start dissecting this passage is that so often what I think that we do is as we study the Bible and we read about these, these people is that we, we glorify some characters and we vilify other characters. We take all of this person's great qualities and we brush over any bad qualities. And then we look at these other people and we say, they are just all bad. There is nothing good to learn from this person. But what we need to do is realize that these are real people who really lived. So like a real person, there's both good and bad. There's both strengths and weaknesses that we can learn from, that we can apply to our own lives. And unfortunately, I think Martha, for all of her strengths, typically gets lumped into this category of bad guy in the Bible. When let's be real here, I mean, Martha has a lot of great strengths. Martha has a lot of great things happening in her life. First of all, Jesus is at her house. That's a good day. I love two things about this little intro to Martha is one that it's her house. There's three siblings. There's Mary, there's Martha, and there's Lazarus. Whose house is it? Martha's house. Martha's the homeowner. Now, we don't know the entire backstory of how that happened. But in this culture, in this day and age, that would have been extremely rare. So Martha's the homeowner. So that speaks, one, of her capability in and of itself. Secondly, Martha's serving. Martha's working. I mean, I don't know how your house works or how, you know, all the details but you probably have one person who's the dominant cook in the house. You know, I grew up, it was my dad. My dad can cook. Oh my gosh, it is amazing. Maybe your house, it's, it's you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a sibling, whoever it is. Whoever can cook in your house. But Martha's the one cooking. So let's be real. Let's give her some credit. If Martha doesn't take time to cook, nobody's eating. You know what I'm saying? Like that house, you are going hungry tonight. You're, you're fasting without, like, without cause. It's just happening. And Jesus is in her house. I don't know how your house works, but in my house, if Jesus was in my house, I would be working diligently to make sure that was a great experience for him. I would want everything to be done with excellence. That is not the night you want the chicken burnt. You know what I'm saying? Like it, you want a good meal if Jesus is there. So all of these great qualities about Martha, she still gets frustrated with her sister. And I think part of it lies with, see, Martha has this incredible gift of just getting stuff done. You know what I mean? There are people, you guys just have that gift. My wife has this gift and trust me, my life and my family's life are better because she has this gift of just getting things done. If you show my dear wife a to-do list, you better stand back. It is, it is on like Donkey Kong. It is over. It is like that to-do list is complete it before you have time to finish writing it. It's amazing. 
Martha's the same type of person where she's got this to-do list, she's got this checklist in her mind, and she is going to accomplish it. But she gets frustrated because her sister Mary isn't helping her accomplish what she thinks she should be. And this leads us to our first point. It's this, it's that I cannot expect what I do not express. This point alone, if you take this and you apply this to your relationships, are enough. You cannot expect what you do not express. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Let's give Martha some more credit here. She went to Jesus with her complaint. Most of us, we'd be like dropping pots and pans, making noise in the kitchen, like banging things around, going, man, it's really hot in here. I'm cooking all this food for you guys. I hope it's good. Or you bring it to 2017, we'd be posting passive-aggressive posts on Facebook, (laughs) hoping and believing that that person is going to read it and that they'll know it's about them because that will bring real change. I mean, let's give Martha some credit. She's not doing any of those things. She goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you care? That's so often our response to frustration. Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus just so beautifully redirects her. You see, Martha had not communicated, I don't believe, to Mary at any point in this process what her expectations were. At least that's not found in the scripture. See, George Bernard Shaw says it like this. He says, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's happened. I'll say it one more time. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's t- happened, that it's taken place. Rachel and I have a running joke in our house that we tell each other, we can't read the thought bubbles that float around your mind. I can't, if she doesn't articulate something to me, I have no idea. And to reverse it, if I don't actually articulate expectations, she has no idea. So it's unfair of me to hold my spouse to expectations that I've never articulated. Now you can extrapolate that. It's not fair to hold your friendships and hold your friends to expectations that you've never articulated to them. If you're in a business deal, if you're working with a contractor at your your company, whatever it is, if you don't articulate clear expectations in in the beginning, it's unfair to try to hold them to them in the end. We have to articulate clearly our expectations. Our second point today is you cannot impose your gift onto others. If you have Martha's gift... That's wonderful. And if you have Mary's gift, that's wonderful. You do not have to be Martha always trying to be Mary, and you do not have to be Mary always trying to be Martha. God created you uniquely with unique gifts and purposes. 
So why do we think people should serve and be just like us? There's a, that, it just leads to frustration. And honestly, that's part of why we believe in gift-based ministry. That's why we want you to take a spiritual gift and personality assessment and next steps. It's because we don't want you trying to be someone you're not. We want you to know who God has created you to be and be that. And be that fully and be that fully alive serving in your God-given purpose because that's the point of fulfillment in your life. If you're constantly trying to, one, be someone you're not, you'll be frustrated. And if you're constantly trying to impose your gifting onto other people, you'll be frustrated. So I want you to have the freedom to be who God created you to be. And I want you to allow the friends and people who surround your life the freedom to be who God created them to be. It's what Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is there's a diversity of gift, but it's all one body. You were created uniquely to serve uniquely. Ephesians 2.10 says it like this. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. You see, when we understand how God created us, it's so much easier to walk in our purposes. And as you walk in purpose, you walk in fulfillment. But it starts with us understanding and being comfortable in who God created us to be. Martha was trying to impose her gifts on Mary. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus doing what she should be doing. Martha was serving, and I believe Martha was doing what she should have been doing. The problem isn't what either one of them are doing. The problem is that Martha is trying to impose her gift onto someone else. That's where Martha's at. The third point's this. It's, we cannot draft people into our dysfunction. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to ask yourself a question. Is your immediate assumption in dealing with frustration that it's the other person's fault? You don't have to answer. I know my answer, and I won't answer if you don't answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll, we'll stay together in that. You see, so often we try to draft people in. We go, I've got a problem, and my problem must become their problem because they're the ones who don't get it. In verse 41, it says this. It says, Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, if everyone else always has the problem, if it's always their fault, their problem, it's always theirs to fix. If nobody gets it, if nobody understands just how hard you're working or how many hours you're putting in or how frustrating this scenario is, if no one understands it, I would invite you to take a moment to step back from the situation and fix your eyes on Jesus. Instead of pulling other people into it, take a step back and to see Jesus' response to your frustration. Because maybe we can stop looking at other people like they're the ones with the problem 
and we can start looking to Jesus, who's both the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, often the problems that bug us the most are the ones that we're supposed to solve. If there is something in your life, if there's a situation, a circumstance that, man, it just rubs you the wrong way, and you're just like, oh. I would invite you to lean into that and try to become a solution. See, we've got, I'll give you an example. We have a wonderful dream team here. They um, greeted you on the way in. They helped you park your car in the loop, especially today on the, on the how a parking set up here at Leewood Middle. And they made you a great cup of coffee. And if this is, this is not real, just I'm prefacing that. First service was a little confused. This is not a real scenario. Um, if you look at them and how they make coffee, they're doing the pour over and you're going, I cannot believe the way they are pouring the water over the coffee. They are doing it counterclockwise. They do not understand that to get a proper pour over, you have to pour the water on clockwise. I don't know if that's real. I don't think it is. It's, it's coffee. It tastes really good. I promise. But, and if that just gets in, you're just like, man, they don't get it. I would love to invite you to be a part of the solution. Don't just present a problem. If you have something that you are clearly passionate about, if you're worried about the direction of that water on that pour over, you have a passion that is unmatched in your love for coffee. Man, be a part of it. Be a part of the solution. If you're wanting to join a small group this summer and you're going, why don't they have this type of group? I wish this, this group was available. I wish I don't like barbecues. I like, um, I don't know who really doesn't like barbecues, but I, I stumped myself on that one. I was like, anyway, but if you just wish they had a different type of group, man, I would invite you to step in and start leading a group. Don't just present a problem, become a solution. Because, and here's why, because removing the gap is costly. It's, it is going to cost you something, whether it be time, energy, focus, attention. It will cost you something to remove that gap. C.S. Lewis, he's a hero of mine. I love his writings. And he said this in his book, The Four Loves. He says, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. To put all of yourself into any relationship is to create vulnerability. Think about how Jesus said it in the very beginning. Love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we hear a verse like that, it's easy to, to kind of swallow. It's an easy pill to swallow when we say we know we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. That's, okay, check. But when he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, when, when Jesus starts asking us to put all of ourselves into other relationships, it's much more difficult because we are afraid of the cost. We're afraid that we're not going to get a return on our investment. Point four. Expectations are not to be determined. You see, we cannot set our expectations on our current realities. Here's what I mean. Let me give you the verse. John 11, verse 3. And this is the second time we see the same family in the Gospels. It says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, 
This is Mary and Martha sending to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They're telling Jesus that their brother Lazarus is sick. And it's not just any kind of sick. It's a very serious sickness that ultimately he's going to die from. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So who do you expect the most out of in life? It's probably one of two types of people. It's, first, it's the people that you have done the most for because you expect them to reciprocate. You expect a return on your investment relationally. When you pour out a lot, you expect a lot in return. And secondly, it's the people who have done the most for you because we assume that they're going to continue to do a lot for us. Now, in this story, this example, Jesus actually fits both of these categories for Martha. Jesus is both someone she's done a lot for and someone who has done a lot for her. So what happens is Martha sends for Jesus. Jesus purposely, intentionally delays his coming. Lazarus dies, and then he starts coming. Jesus tells his disciples in John eleven fourteen. 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Martha hears that Jesus is finally on his way. In verse 20, it says, so Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went to him and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house, because that's what Mary does. She sits a lot. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha starts, if only this, then this. So my wife and I are both the um, sneaky competitive people. You know, we're not outwardly competitive. We don't get like fired up and scream and yell, but we are like inwardly hyper competitive. And we both have the same like personality traits. So when you take the, the gift assessment of the personality traits, we both are D's in that, that gift mix, which makes for an awesome marriage. Um, it does, I promise. So, but we are so competitive that I, I have to, anytime I lose, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it could be a game of basketball. It could be um, playing catch with my four-year-old son. It could be um, racing, pretend racing cars. Whatever it is, it's what, it does not matter at all to me. If I lose, I have to debrief and go, if I would have done this differently, I think I would have won. You know what I mean? You have to, I just have to do it. It eats away at me until I do that, and then I, I can move on. And Martha essentially is doing the same thing. She's saying, Jesus, if only this, then the outcome would have been completely different. So what Martha's doing is she's shifting her expectations. She's shifting her frustration and disappointment in the moment to try to minimize it. She's going, Jesus, she's looking backward into the past. Jesus, if only you had been here, then the outcome would have been completely different. If only this. See, what I love is that Jesus has a perspective that is so entirely better than ours. As we keep going in verse 22. But even now, this is Martha speaking, but even now I know 
that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Instead of grabbing a hold of this Jesus spoken truth, she then shifts her expectations from the past and puts them all the way into the future. She just keeps mitigating the present reality that she's currently in. She's pushing it into the future. Martha said to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The enemy loves it when you shrink your expectations based on past events or you push them and you defer your expectations so far into the future, they don't affect your present. The present reality is the one that we need to embrace. Yes, plan for the future. Yes, all of those things. Yes, the past is real and often it does hurt. But the reality is this, that we are in the present moment. And we have to, we cannot shift our expectations away from the present. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she pushes it off. As if it's going to hurt too much, the pain is going to be too great, the frustration too large to handle. If I embrace that as a present reality, then it goes unmet. But I love that Martha says this little glimmer of hope in the midst of that phrase. She says, even now. Even now, I cannot see any hope. Even now, I cannot see a solution even now, it seems like my marriage is on the brink. Even now, my, my company's collapsing. Even now, my friends have betrayed me. Even now, my children are wayward. Even now, my family has, has devastated me. But even now, Jesus is in the moment. Everything can change. Because even now, God can move. That's a reality of our present moment that we live in. That even now, it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It doesn't matter the hurt, the betrayal, the disappointment. It doesn't matter how large that gap is. That even now, God can move in it. And I believe so often we've, we constantly try to look for a way out of frustration. We look for a way to, to get out of this gap on our own. Instead of fully embracing the pain and the frustration of the moment and, and looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we trust that his perspective is better than ours and we trust that his, his motives are better than ours. So even though we are going through a present reality of pain, of frustration, of disappointment, Jesus could be doing something much larger in our midst if we are willing to embrace the even now, God can move. Jesus said the sickness does not lead to death, and yet Lazarus died. One of the things I love about Jesus is it's kind of like the royals. It's not over until it's over. I mean, the royals will come back in the bottom of the 75th inning, and somehow they will win. It is amazing. Trust me, I grew up in Cincinnati. When the game looks like it might be over, just go ahead and go home. It's over. The Royals, man, you guys are treating me well this year. The reality is that if Jesus is in the moment, it's not over. 
Let's keep reading in verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and believed in him. If Jesus is here, it's not over. You see, our hope is not built on something, it's built on someone. And as long as that someone is here, then our hopes always have place. That we don't have to give in to frustration and disappointment. Our hope can remain intact because if Jesus is here, then hope is here. In verse 5, I'm sorry, in point 5, don't let what you expected interfere with what God wants you to experience. You see, you have to fill the gap with Jesus and not frustration. If you fill it with frustration, what happens is you eventually, you minimize and mitigate your hopes, your dreams, the passions that God has placed inside of you so much that you don't do anything. That you're immobilized because fear of pain. You're immobilized because of fear of disappointment. That you're immobilized because you're afraid that somehow, no matter how good and wonderful and great a situation looks, the rug will be pulled out from you. So you can never stand firmly and truly in who God has called you to be. So you're always lacking this internal fulfillment. You're always reaching for new relationships or new things to fill that gap that you're trying to fill because of frustration and hurts when all the while Jesus is saying, I want to fill this gap for you. That's who I am. That's that's what I do. C.S. Lewis said, look to Christ and you'll find him and with him, everything else. Too often we try to reverse this order. We try to look for everything else, and then when we have everything else, then we look to Jesus. But I believe there's a reality that if we begin begin the process in looking to Jesus, we find Jesus, and then we find everything else. In the Gospels, Jesus says it like this, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added to you. It's not so much an issue of one is bad and one is good. It's an issue of order. When you look to Jesus first, then you get everything else. Remember that frustration is the gap between our expectations and our experiences. You see, spiritual growth and comfort can't coexist. Growth and pain are intrinsically linked. It doesn't matter if you're lifting weights. It doesn't matter if you're growing spiritually. To grow is to experience pain. 
Martha learned this. There's one more time that we see Jesus interacting with his family. It's this it's the last time, it's really right toward the end of Jesus' ministry career, and it's the, the moment where Mary is about to anoint Jesus' feet. And it's in John chapter 12, verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there. This is the family, this is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus again. They gave another dinner for Jesus. And Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. I love that Lazarus always lays down and Mary is always sitting. I mean, let's be real. I can see why Martha was getting a little frustrated after a while. This is all y'all doing. This is like three years and you're still laying around, Lazarus. And then it goes on in verse 10. This is another just, I just love the Bible because it's funny. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, I am not a Greek expert, but I don't imagine a bunch of guys putting a hit on Lazarus was too frightening considering the fact that Jesus had just raised him from the dead. You know what I mean? Like he had already been, been there, done that. Hey, Jesus, can you hang out a little closer this time? <laughs> Not take four days. Can you just show up? But in that is this beautiful picture of Martha. She's just serving. There's no complaining. There's no banging pots and pans. There's no Jesus, don't you see how hard I'm working? Get my sister in here. There's none of that. Martha serving. And the beauty of this moment is that I really believe maybe for the first time in Martha's life, this whole family is walking in their purposes in harmony, in unity together. Martha prepares the home and, and is serving so that, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but when, I, when I'm hanging out with people and we're, we're doing that around a meal, there is just something so relaxing about that. Martha's putting the environment at ease, essentially. Lazarus is laying near to Jesus, a testimony of his power. And Mary has the opportunity in this moment to anoint Jesus. It's this incredible picture of a family of three people in close relationship, growing and maturing together. It's a beautiful moment. But the gap doesn't become filled outside of relationship. In fact, it only gets filled in the context of relationship. So you and I, we have these gaps. Whether it's from a relationship, an employer, friends, spouse, family, children, that all along the way have, have led to frustration, have led to disappointment, have led to, to hurt. And that hurt causes us to want to pull out of relationship. But ultimately, that gap gets filled in the context of relationship.
Thanks again for listening. To learn more and to join our Radiant family, check us out on social media and online at radiantchurchkc.com.